Erica, and welcome to the first episode of Rosé All Day Anyways. And while we recognize that saying anyways is grammatically incorrect, I've made the executive decision that we don't care because it sounds cuter that way. Rosé All Day Anyways, I'm Katie. I'm your uh, co-host here with Miss Erica Atkins. Erica, what's the point of this podcast? point of the podcast is for the two of us to one obviously drink rosé which we do all day anyways well not all day we don't drink at our job sometimes but if it's an event uh then to we have a lot of really stimulating conversations or at least we think they are and sometimes we convince other people that they are or they pretend that they are for our own benefit so we'll see how it goes so we're gonna see how it goes so what are we talking about today? Um, I actually wanted to talk about, uh, start out talking about something that I hooked you on and that I've hooked many people on and that I was personally convinced into rewatching and have been a faithful fan of since, even though it's a terrible, terrible yeah, program. Yeah, ruined my life. Yeah, I've ruined a lot of people's lives. Um, the Bachelor franchise. And the thing that I need people to understand about the Bachelor franchise because I've had people be like, oh, okay, I'm going to avoid the battery and if you watch it. No, it's like nine months of programming. There's a little bit of a break in between some of it, but it's basically like nine months that you can obsess over the Bachelor, which is January to March. Do you remember when you brought me into this? It had to be sometime last year. No, I think it was earlier than that. It was like two or three years ago. Really? I didn't start, I didn't start watching again until January 2017. February, March 2017. So I had watched the show. The, I watched the, like the Bachelorette and the Bachelorette, like the first two seasons of it when I was in high school. And then I didn't watch it again for a while, like until last year when Nick was the Bachelorette and several people had told me, hey, because my whole thing had been, Oh, I just want to be like the really smart, put together black girl on this show and see how far I can get. That was like my whole. No, life. you want to be a PA on this show? Oh, I mean, I You're didn't not a PA a producer. You I didn't realize until last year what I really want to be as a producer. But before that, I was like, oh yeah, I can be like this really like smart, put together black woman and like and see how far I can get on the show. And then along came Rachel, and she was that woman. And several of my friends and coworkers were like, you got to watch because the person who you wanted to be on this show was like on this show. And then she went into the top four, and then she became the first African-American male or female bachelorette. Like no other African-American has ever led that show before. And she was like everything I wanted her to be until she picked the wrong person. But other than that, she was like everything I wanted her to but be. But you really want to be on that show as a producer. And yeah. That. So part of that was I had started watching, God, what is the name of that show? Unreal. That's the name of the show. That is the name of the show. And so I had started watching Unreal. And Unreal is a show about the producers on a bachelorette, bachelor type show. Oh, so it's a drama. It's not. It's a, a drama. It's okay. a drama. Okay. But it's based off of a book that was written by producers on the actual show. On the Bachelor. Yeah. Oh. And so when you're watching it, you're like seeing all the different ways that they like manipulate the contestants and like. And, and, you, and you watch this. 
oh yeah, I've walked off five seasons, four to five seasons <laughs> of it, whatever it is. Um, and ultimately editing, editing it to manipulate the audience to believe what they want them to believe, mm. which was fascinating to me. Like as a theater person, that's like fascinating to me. Cause you like watch reality TV show and you're like, whatever. It's like all fake. It's not real stuff. Why do we even study this crap? But then you start to realize it's not the people on the show. It's the producers that are like artists in like a really messed up way and really like psychologically like they have tapped into the psychology of people in general, at least the American public for sure. Cause they're actually like bachelor franchises all over the country. Or all over the world. Mm -hmm. And so, like, you have to understand what works well in that country to, like, get people, like, worked up. And so, I find myself watching that show and, like, hating women who I've never met before and who I wouldn't, like, hate otherwise. But because I know they purposely edited this person to be, like, every woman who's ever done me wrong in my life is, like, this woman. And they've edited her that way. Well, and they're constantly what? They're just, like, um egging each other on they're like do you know what sarah said to jackson on their date mm-hmm. you know i don't know like i don't like yeah that's totally what they and that's if you watch unreal that's the show you know what you know what sarah said to jackson you know like yeah like i can't believe that she would even say that about you especially considering blah 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 about her yeah 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 go talk to jackson about that like that's the show and i was like I've been really good at that, mostly because, like, like you're, like, like as a theater person, you're, like, yeah, yeah, your whole thing is to, like, figure out people's motivations and, like, try to create the best, most dramatic, like, finale you could. And so you're watching the show. So the fun of watching The Bachelor now and that show, in between, like, people telling me I needed to watch it again and watching Unreal, that show actually got me back into it because now I'm watching it trying to figure out what the producers are doing to them and how they are editing it to make us feel a certain way. But the interesting thing about that show is that like despite all their manipulations and et cetera, that like the female relationship that evolve out of that show like especially like on the bachelor the guy ones are pretty funny like on the bachelorette that one's pretty funny because like bro bro oh bro we're all doing the same chick yeah bro uh, bro i love you bro i love you i hate that bro i hate that bro too Oh, bro, bro. That's like pretty much the Bachelorette, and it's funny. I feel like I'd watch a one-woman version of the Bachelorette with Eric. <laughs> pretty Hawkins. much it. That's pretty much it. And it's not like as like it doesn't feel like dirty to watch as a woman, as it as like the Bachelor does. Could you like know what they're doing to female stereotypes? But still, even though they're doing all this manipulation, these like female relationship. Like, evolve, like, these strong, like, female relationships. And you, like, follow their Instagrams. And, like, a lot of them end up being friends with each other. Or there was, like, one... Or they end up dating one another. Oh, they, that happened. Like, there was a pair of women who ended up dating one another. There was one woman the last season who cried. And she was like, I'm not sad about leaving you. I'm sad about leaving my friend. And, like... <laughs> And I was like, oh, I thought I would be that girl on the show. But I don't even like you. But all the other girls here are so nice. So it's really interesting to me to see, like, even in, like, that condition in which they're all, like, really shaped up to be pitted against each other. 
So I think I think that's like a fascinating thing is that like uh, you know they use these females one way or another against and with each other they create alliances and like the producers are back here pulling a lot of these strings and they're just like pumping you know, fucking rosé into them. Yeah, they don't feed them and they give them a ton of alcohol. Yeah, mm-hmm. all day. And uh-huh. so uh, rosé all day. <laughs> Hashtag rosé all day. Anyways, and, and so they they like use these women and their like strong attachments one to to one another because I feel like females just like instantly have stronger attachments with yeah. other females. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. given like a sub situation like that. And so I know I think that's really interesting, and that's what we wanted to talk about today was female friendships in general. Yeah, and even how in like the most crazy of conditions, like women can form really strong bonds together and maybe perhaps because of the world that we live in and how patriarchal it is that we do form strong bonds together. Yeah, so I think it's like really interesting to think about in that context and like even to think about the way that, you know, we met and we became friends. We Which we have differing opinions on. I guess we do. How did we meet and why are we doing this together? <laughs> I mean, we did meet in a very, like, female-centric field. Well, we... Okay, so we're both arts education Mm -hmm. folks. We're both teaching artists. And Erica's a theater artist, singer-songwriter, cruise show talent host. (laughs) I've done a lot of things. (laughs) And type A boss lady to the max. (laughs) Right now, she's currently the interim... Executive director Acting. at at an organization. Are we allowed to mention our organization? Let's not say our organization. Okay, okay. We'll Let's remain be anonymous. Let's be. I mean, a simple Google search. <laughs> a simple Google search will reveal all the answers you're looking for. But we'll we'll keep some mystery here yeah. for the time being. And then I am a, a writer and digital media extraordinaire. Artist. Yeah, and uh, small publisher now. Yeah, press publisher. Woo-hoo. Do you want to say the name you published under, or do you want to keep that a mystery? Oh, I write under M.K. Rainey. I'll broadcast the room. M.K. Rainey. Read it, guys. It's real good. Read it. Read the literature. (laughs) I have, and it's good. And I run a reading series up here called Dead Rabbits. Which Which is is also good. Which is what our press is going to be called. Mm -hmm. Which we have a podcast. Check out the Dead Rabbits. There's another podcast. podcast. There's another podcast. There's so many podcasts. But I'm not hosting that one. I just run the... The back end. Yeah. This one's all about us yeah. and Rosé. And <laughs> probably arts education and boy bands and the world and more Rosé. <laughs> and more Rosé. How we filter all of this information through Rosé. So anyway, we met through the arts education field because we're mm-hmm. both teaching artists and administrators through that, which is... And we're both just generally heavily involved with the larger community yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah, we're on the Teaching Artist Fairs Committee in New York City. We're basically like the president and vice president at your middle school, like essentially is who we are. It's two tippers. <laughs> except, for, except for in our world, that's a little bit cooler than maybe middle school. <laughs> Right, but like just a little bit cooler. Like not not really. (laughs) We're not fooling ourselves. What I would say, like at least we own our terribleness. Um, I mean, yeah. I mean, I think that we have both evolved in the last few years 
in our career to be like more recognizable names, which is, I mean, it's awesome. Like to all it really means is we donate a lot of our time. We do donate a lot <laughs> of our time, and I think though, I think in addition to like donating a lot of our time, we have both like actually like championed a lot the field becoming a place where people donate a lot less of their time too. Yeah. Yeah, but like, true. it's almost like somebody. Somebody support arts education. Support arts education, Just guys. Do it. Just support it. Oh my you need God. it. You have no you idea it. how much it's your kids need so it. It's so crucial. Even if your kids don't become artists, don't you want a just more empathetic, creative, thoughtful, collaborative generation? Yeah, without arts education, we're just going to end up with a bunch of Ted Cruises running oh. around. So uh, how do we meet? <laughs> Uh, we met in one of the committees we were both working in, one of the arts education committees we were both working in. Neither one of us can really seem to remember when we were actually introduced to each other. I think just somehow we wound up on your couch watching The Bachelor drinking rosé, and it's been kind of a rosé blur ever since. Just a yeah. Rose, a rose-colored blur ever A rose-colored blur. I mean, I think before that, there was a series of subway rides home together because we live in the same neighborhood. And because we are always the last to leave an event. Yes, because we were probably running the event. Probably. And so, and then one or the other of us was running the event. We were like, oh, I can wait for you. Um, yeah, that's true. And, it, and we had figured out at some point that we lived in the same neighborhood. And so. And so, you live five blocks from me. I, although in the beginning it was eight blocks. And then, and then we moved closer. And then we moved. Thank God, because those three blocks were so hard. <laughs> um, so it's iffy, the timeline of how we met, right? Yeah. Why would you say we've worked other than the commute? We have a pretty good commute between each other as well. Oh, I mean. between each other. I'd like to work? No. <laughs> no, we have a terrible commute. We both to have work. terrible commutes. Yeah. yeah. It's awful. Yeah. Neither That's one of us work thing. in Midtown. <laughs> yeah. Both of us are like, oh, blah. I work Ugh. at the tip of Manhattan and she works in Brooklyn. I work like the next stop out of the tip of Manhattan. I do say when I complain, and even my boss will be like, it's the first stop. And I'm like, I know, but. Ugh. <laughs> we both live in Harlem. And for anyone listening who lives in Harlem and you have to work in Brooklyn or lower Manhattan, we feel you. Yeah, we feel you. It's like, rough. we really do. It's, it's rough. rough. And we understand, if like, these are first world York, problems. It's essentially, like, driving 45 minutes to an hour in heavy traffic every day. Mm-hmm. Except instead of being in the comfort of your car and thinking at the top of your lungs, you have, like, had your headphones plugged in and, like, weird people pressed up against you on the subway. Which everybody, because I'm a writer, they're like, oh, you must get time to read. And I'm like, not when you're standing and you can't move your arms pinned to each other. Like, Only if you get a seat. Yeah, and that's... Pretty rare on that morning rush hour. Well, you're on the one train now. I can usually get a seat by 42nd Street. Not the one. No, no, the one in the mess. Um. Anyway, so that is yeah. how we met and kind of what we do, which more will be revealed about what we do as we go along. I'm sure. So what are the best female friendships? What's your best female friendship other than me? Um, it's so funny because um, one of my friends makes fun of me because I say my best friend, but I might be referring to like four or five different people. Yeah. Um, so I have several like really amazing female friendships. Actually, in general, I have a crap ton of amazing female friendships. I've been blessed. She does. With a plethora of like amazing female friends. I'm a minuscule part of her life. <laughs> You're not a minuscule <laughs> You're probably the person who I spend the most time with <laughs> of all my friends. Because I'm like, oh, what's Katie doing? Katie's yeah, again, the commute. 
Yeah. <laughs> Again, the commute make the friendship really solid. But um, I um, I have my friend Jean, who I have been friends with. We met when we were like sixteen, seventeen, and she has actually she's just been like an amazing supportive part of my life and it's always like just she's actually really big about like pushing me to be a better person and even she's not like actively pushing me to be a better person she is just like she because like like pushing pushing because i my best friend and i like i uh have over pushed with her before definitely and she's gotten upset with me the amazing thing about jean is that she um she's actually very religious and she's really like grounded in her faith however um she never is like you need to believe what i believe and how i believe but she she like she lives through it and she is a shining example of like like her goodness is just so Mm. pure she's just like when we were in college i always felt guilty because she would like she was one of those people who would like go away to like bleed or africa for the summer and like volunteer her whole summer and i was like partying and drinking you know what i mean and she like just constantly and still does like inspire me to be but, like, like did you person. ever fight have you guys fought oh for sure but not over like anything i don't even think we've ever fought over like religion or like anything like like that like we fight over like the same like dumb stuff that friends fight over. Yeah, we've been friends since we were like sixteen years old, so obviously we fought. But like, well, like what I'm talking about is like I have so I have two best friends. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> like I don't say that I have a billion best friends because I was like an awkward kid and had no friends for a very long time until mm-hmm. theater camp. Theater camp. Theater ah. camp. All the cool kids meet at theater camp. I am it's not true. a theater artist. But I met my best, my two best friends in the entire world at theater camp, and that's why your kid need arts education. Yes, yes, they bond over, yes, and oh, okay. I think we have to take one, one second break to introduce the whiner in the corner right now, which is Rosetta Muffin. Rosetta is my best friend of twelve years. She really is. She's that's the love of my life. She's a quirky lab mix who is very opinionated and she will make other appearances. And we'll talk about mm-hmm. her friend frenemy soon. They were frenemies and now they're best friends. No, no, they're like that. But we'll, we'll talk about that shortly. But I wanted to finish. So my two best friends, one I've only ever had one fight with, like a legit fight. And the other one I've only had two legit fights. Mm-hmm. Um, but one happened because, well, one, I didn't. The first one happened because she didn't like the guy I was dating, and the second one happened because I didn't like the guy she was dating. And it was like, oh, like, mm. this is how much we love each other, is that, mm-hmm. like, we knew we were with the wrong, like, the other one was with the wrong person. And we both turned out to be right in both of those fights. Because most so. best friends will, like, sit on that that card. Like, your, oh. friend, your friend will, like, throw out that they don't think with you're with the right guy, but your best friend... We'll wait to pull that card. And we did. We both yeah. we both took a long time getting there, and we accumulated the data <laughs> to make our cases, you know. <laughs> and we laugh about it now because we were both right, right, in those mm-hmm. situations. But I will say that my fault in the second fight we ever had was because she was dating the wrong guy, and he turned mm-hmm. out to be a real P.O.S. Mm-hmm. in a bad way. But that um what i didn't do right was i pushed her in a lot of ways that were unhealthy and i i think i just i was like we were young we were like 22 23 i just like i guess as her best friend saw like all the things that she could do and was really unhappy about how stuck she was and Mm -hmm. how she was making these life decisions around someone who didn't like oh my god he said some things i can say this she won't get upset uh he used to touch her stomach and say too much goodies and things no. like that. No. Yeah. 
No, like, get out of here. Fucked up shit. Like get that. out of here. Like what the fuck? Like, Mm-mm. yeah. If nope. You, I know. If Brian ever said that to me, I would. I, Brian, you, are you listening? You scalp him, and I would help you. <laughs> you text me. I'm like just a few blocks away. But he's not a piece of shit, so he wouldn't say that. Um, so yeah, so just things like that. And but I, I definitely pushed way too much, and it got us into our second fight ever. And like, of course, we bicker and stuff like that because. We love each other and we're like family and uh, have been since we were 13. But I think that's the thing about me and Jean also that I feel like sometimes we push each other in a way that we don't push other friendships and even some of my other best friends that like because you know at the end of the day that person is still going to love you and so you sometimes mm-hmm. you sometimes push them to a point where you're like like that's how you feel that's what happened with us in our big fight and it took us like a month to really work through it but we both did because we both loved each other very much and we hated each other at the time hate's a strong word but we really disliked but you love each other it doesn't matter and so sometimes you take liberties with the fact that you're gonna love each other no matter what yeah and we definitely Mm -hmm. did but because Rosetta was whining so much, I'm wondering if it's a good time to bring up her frenemy. She's now settled with a bone and will be for the rest of the podcast. But Rosetta has a best friend. Yes, Rosetta does have a best friend. Other than me. Rosetta has Yankee. And I, I love Yankee. I met Rosetta and Yankee at the same time. And Rosetta was like, I don't know if I like you. And Yankee was like, I love you. I've always loved you. I love you before I was born. I love you before you were born. You're my best friend. Um, but Katie can describe how that relationship came to be. Yankee is a voluptuous, <laughs> silky, beautiful, <laughs> sneaky golden retriever. She is very adept at finding where the food is and not letting you see her find it. And she's she's... Voluptuous is the word that I'd use to describe her, but she's the most amenable dog in the world. She will love you the second you meet her, mm-hmm. and she will have always loved you, and that's the story of Yankee. Now, Rosetta, if there were a show about the odd couple of dogs, it would be about Yankee and Rosetta, yeah. mm-hmm. because Rosetta is me in dog form. She hates everyone. <laughs> What? I don't see... Maybe that's how you see yourself on the... I don't see you as, like, on the Yankee in the spectrum, but I don't see you quite as, like... Because Rosetta's like, I'm going to bark at you until you prove to me that you're worth my love. (laughs) Like, that's Rosetta. Rosetta just... Well, for one, she's an abused dog. Adopt Mm. shelter dogs. Adopt them. They need your love. They do. And so she was abused at six months old when I got her. And uh, terrified of people her entire life because of that. And she's come a long way since she was a baby. I can't even be, like, I couldn't have people over. Like, I couldn't be doing a podcast in the middle of my living room when she was a baby because she just wouldn't have stopped barking at you. And now she loves Erica. She licked her in the face on the way, on the walk out. She's super cute. And also, I, I gave her some beef jerky on the way back. So now she's like, after a month of staring at me and waiting for me to give her food, now she's like, I know they're the chance. So we're like officially in love. So now they're best friends. Anyway, Yankee and Rosetta were forced to be together because Yankee is my, I guess I'd call them my in-laws at this point, my partner Brian's. Uh, parents dog and she's their air quotes service dog Uh, she's not a service dog apparently you can print off a service dog form online and say it so they are deaf and so they say she's their service dog so that they can take her on the plane but they're not she's not really a service dog she's just the sweetest dog we don't say that (laughs) 
Well, I don't think TSA is listening to this podcast. (laughs) Anyway, so Yankee uh, and Rosetta were forced to be friends and hated each other. Like they got into um, they got into fights when they first met because they were very territorial, and Rosetta's kind of scary. And they've known each other now for about three years, and since, maybe longer, maybe like four or five, I guess since Brian and I've known each other. But now they both get depressed when the other one is not around. It's very sweet. It's very sweet. And they kind of like team up together, too, sometimes when they're trying to get in the mischief. They do, when eating stuff off the street. (laughs) Like a real classy lady. (laughs) Do you have any friends like that? Where you like disliked them very much at first and you were just like forced to be together. Yeah, I've got two friends like that. Um, and also on the best friend list, uh, there's my friend Ashley. Oh, you're just saying their names. Oh, yeah. No, they, neither of them were mine. Um, they, they, we, the story they're all agreed upon. My friend Ashley and I met in um, a Backstreet Boy chat room uh, about 18 years ago. As you do. Yeah, as you do. When AOL? You're, AOL. Great. And we didn't like each other. She was an AJ fan. In the chat room, you didn't like each other. Mm-mm. Because she was an AJ fan and you were a I think that's also, I can't go into all of it right now. I think it's also important to understand the stereotype of like, because within the Backstreet fan, there's like a, a fandom. There's like a spectrum of like who you could be, right? And so Nick fans were generally very like chipper and like cheery and like did it like... And um, AJ fans were like, because AJ is like the edgy Backstreet Boy. Da, 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 da. So Ashley would always be very much like, I don't care. No, I don't care. So AJ was like the Backstreet Boy who didn't care. And um, and he was the first one to go to rehab. So, sure. Um, but, so. Rehab for what? Um, drug abuse. Drug abuse and alcoholism. Mm. Nick had the same issue. He just ended up not officially going to rehab for it and how did that pit you two against each other so like i had more of like the chipper personality and asked her to like mm-hmm, i don't care i don't care but for some reason in the beginning i kept messaging her and i like can't even say why i did and then eventually she started messaging me back like 18 years ago we ended up evolving a, like a friendship and we like that started around the backstreet boys and our interest in them and you just went to mexico together yeah, we just went to Mexico. 18 years later, we just went to Mexico together. It evolved to, like, collect phone calls. Um, and then we both got our own cell phones. And we talked on, like, AIM all the time. And, like, I mean, we don't even really talk on Messenger anymore. We text. And we, like, call each other. And we take, we, um, since we both. Wait, like, AOL Messenger? Yeah, this was, like. You still have AOL Messenger? No, oh, but okay. we, <laughs> no, no, this is how we became friends, though. We became okay. friends in, like, 2000. Okay. Okay. Now we just we just text and we call each other. And we try to make sure that in the past, like, five, really maybe, like, seven to five years, we try to see each other, like, every other year. And if we don't do that, maybe in the past two to three years, we try to take a trip together. Mm-hmm. Like, as we get older and we have more expendable income, then we try to make sure now it's not necessarily like one of us has to visit the other. We will go away somewhere together. And yeah, this past summer we went to Mexico. Okay. Yeah, and like that's how, where that friendship came from. The other person is my friend Jen, who's my best friend from college, who is still one of my best friends, who I didn't want to like because she was in my voice studio. She was super cute. She was really talented. She was like, like I like... 
I had to work so hard for all of the kudos that I got because I wasn't a classical singer in a classical singer program. Jen went to governor's school and had been singing classically since she was like a freshman, sophomore in high school. And she was so talented and she was like just amazing and she was a year behind me and she got put in my voice studio and I was like I hate her (laughs) and she also theater drama theater drama it's that vocalist drama which is a version of theater drama I'm sorry I'm a writer it's all theater drama to me perhaps a little bit more because like vocalists are so like it was it, it was unnecessarily dramatic and Bajin, which is like the sweetest person in the world, and we were in the same, we had the same voice teacher, which means we were in the same voice studio, which means we had a weekly master class together. And she was, I was like, hi, Erica, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, you are not my friend. Like, that was my thing. She also dressed really cute, and that was my thing. And I was like, no, 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 no. Why are we, like, why Why do we do that? Because I feel like I know, like, there have been relationships like that where I was just like, I can't stand you at first, then I grew to like that person a lot. Well, I feel like women are taught, especially, like, I think of, like, in the case between me and Jim, we are taught, like, there can only be one of us who is ex. Rosetta agrees. <laughs> she really does. She's the only one dog in the house. <laughs> I kind of like this peanut gallery that is Rosetta. But surely she's just commenta- like commenting because you're eating and she wants your food. Anyway, continue. Okay. I'm sure everybody on the podcast can hear me eating, but, God, I just get so hungry sometimes. Um, but... Um, <laughs> Fair enough. I support you in that. Thank you. I feel like we're taught there can only be one of us who's like the cute one, or there can only be one of us who's like the talented one. And I knew I wasn't like vocally talented, especially not for what was considered vocally talented in our department. But Jen is also just a really good singer. I knew I wasn't as good as her. And so I was threatened by that. And I was like, well, I'm still the cute one. But then she was actually like really cute as well. And I was like, damn it. And then like she kept like, Trying to like sneak up on me and be my friend, and then really the moment she really became my friend is that um, my uncle had died in Iraq, and obviously everybody found out very quickly mm-hmm. throughout the music department. And she came up to me and she said, "I am so sorry," and she just grabbed me and gave me like the most intense hug that anybody had given me so far because people have kind of like not been sure how to like deal with me or what to say to me. And I just, like, kind of started melting in her arm. And I was like, all right, fine. I guess we can be friends now. <laughs> like, I was like, I'm not going to fight this anymore. And she was my first roommate out of college. Aww. We lived together for a year. And we're still really good friends. I, um, this summer, I went to Mexico with Assy. And I went to Outer Banks for a weekend with Jen and her family. Because I'm also really close to her family as well. Hmm. So, yeah. Like, I know there are two people who I, like, did not like when I met them. I'm trying to think of who I didn't like when I first met them, but now we're like really close and I think none of my close friends. I can't really I can't really I honestly can't think of one. One example. I think the issue for me is I'm obviously like I mean, I'd say there's some people in the arts education field that we probably mutually know that I felt like that at first where it was mostly just like, I think part of the business is you like, um, like as in any business is that you feel like people are about to use you Mm -hmm. or like take advantage of something. Mm -hmm. And so you're trying to figure out who is really genuine in that, Mm -hmm. who like is actually doing the work or who's trying to like. I don't know, get their name out there or Mm -hmm. use you for something. And so, like, I've got that constant evaluation going on in my head. And, like, maybe that's just a total fucking insecurity on my part. And 
oh, we got a topic to talk about with my therapist this week. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't feel that much. I don't feel that way very much at work. Oh, I like, I definitely, because I'm so in contact with teaching artists and I'm this like support mm. system for them. Part of my job as a, like a, to train, like I train teaching artists. Mm-hmm. So part of that job is giving them support that's outside of that training. Like I'm, you know, it's, it's because it's arts as education, we're really about the kind of like holistic approach to students, right? We're mm-hmm. not just there to teach them the arts education. We're te- mm-hmm. there to teach them empathy. We're there to give them support, emotional support. And because I train teaching artists in this, I'm also there. I'm caring for teaching artists. Like last year, I found someone a dentist because they need it. Mm-hmm. Or uh, financial support. You know, mm-hmm. we do these tax events with people. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess like even though I know part of my job is being used mm-hmm. like for my institutional and like, gatekeeping being knowledge quote unquote mm-hmm. um, I also am just like very aware that people are just trying to use in general and so I guess mm-hmm. I get kind of like wary about that I don't know if that's a thing you feel I don't um, fair enough <laughs> and it's interesting though I feel like I feel like I've always been aware as a person for a long time who's had a role and an increasing role depending on whether it's saying like we are, are not hiring you no matter how I felt about people contacting me or like, like there is a certain degree of like, I need you, I need you. I mean, I think one, I mean, you're an older sibling too. I've got like my big sister syndrome, which is certainly like, everybody needs me. I'm here for you. Whatever you need for me, I'm here. Yeah. I was one of my friends who used to work with me in arts education. When her daughter became a big sister, I wrote her a card telling her like, welcome to the big sister club. And my friend is a big sister, too, but she's, like, number two or four, but she turned to her daughter, and she was like, Erica, the professional big sister, which is true. Like, I bring that personality into, like, my professional life and my friendships and just the way I treat people. I'm like, you're a big sister. I'm going to take care of you. But um, I'd say the same. Like, I was talking to my siblings earlier today, and they were, like, I said something very, like, probably dark and, like, jaded, and uh, they were like, God, you're the total big sibling. (laughs) I bought my brother chicken soup today because he's sick and what a little babe and i bought him chicken soup and talked to my mom about how like it's okay i've got him like don't wait like you know what i mean <laughs> like, it's so. okay i'm watching the baby yeah exactly so like i bought that in so i don't necessarily feel like oh like i'm being used but also i've realized that i have a position of power in deciding whether you're getting hired or not or whether we're keeping you or like what like I have some role of power in that which balance I think mentally balances it out to me that's a really interesting point that you bring up is this relationship to power and like I, I guess I'm wondering if you can think of any situation in which power affected the friendship oh for sure um, I used to I'm going to do the super condensed version of this I was a singing server on a boat for mm-hmm. several years. Mm-hmm. Um, a local harbor cruise. Don't get crazy, people. I didn't like go out cruising the Caribbean, <laughs> New York City. But I formed a lot of really strong friendships. Many of those people who are still my friends. And then I started getting promoted. And then I started doing training. And then I started running cruises. And certainly many of those friendships, both male and female, were tested by the fact that I was now in a position to tell them, you have to do this. You need to do this. I, I, I have been in that situation many times in, like, a, both in arts education, in bars that I've worked at. Like, I've always, in the last few bars I worked at, I was promoted to, you know, like, a manager position very quickly. 
and like have had to deal with that and it gets really uncomfortable because mm-hmm. your, your friends sometimes just like don't understand that I mean like my very close friends I've never had conflicts with it's always like um, you know those second tier friends N- not that they're second tier but they're just not your best friends and I think like that's an important like hierarchy quote unquote to talk about is that like we do have our very close best friends like obviously like you and I could I can pretty much say whatever I want to you mm-hmm. but um, there are like second tier friends that we hang out with every once in a while or like maybe even fairly often but we mm-hmm. don't feel as close to and that power can affect the affect the friendship but like I'm also thinking not just in terms of like hierarchy in your job mm-hmm. but in I don't know in life like okay so like here's a real example you're black and I'm white mm-hmm has that has my whiteness affected our friendship not that that's a powerful thing but Mm -hmm. white supremacy is like a not to drop this bomb in here but that is a prevalent thing so like has it affected our friendship and I know you've talked before about being the only black person amongst like all white girls Mm -hmm. and you have a lot of experience about that Mm -hmm. so I'm interested in that yeah I don't know I feel like I'm sure that the answer is yes, but because as you just mentioned, I'm usually one of the few, if not only black women in like a group of predominantly white women, I've, there's something about me that has like internalized or just like moved through that because there's so many complexities as to like what the hierarchy or hierarchies are in our female friendship, right? Like, um... So and so is like this race, and so and so is that race. Um, so and so has like hooked up with more guys in a friend group, and the other person has it. So and so, um, it, as you get older, makes more money than the other. So and so has children, and so and so does it. And like, there's so many things that start to like affect that that I recognize it. But I also think um, credit to my parents, and especially my mother who have raised me to be so comfortable talking about race, that I have never been uncomfortable talking about the race dynamic in the room. Mm. I'm probably more uncomfortable talking about money or, like, something like that than I am about, like, the like how the race dynamic affects our relationship. I remember when I was, like, eight years old, there were a few girls who I hung out with. I'm pretty sure all their names were Heather. I'm like, I really feel like that. Okay. Because I remember calling, like, the three Asians or something like that. But there was, like, one point where they all, like, were, like, pushing me out. And I was like, oh, because you're the three white Asians. And I was like, eight. Like, I've never been uncomfortable calling out how race might be affecting the dynamic. Was it affecting the dynamic? Did they bring that up? Of course they didn't. We also lived in a suburb. I don't think I lived in an area where someone would have made that a thing even if that was a thing no one would have thought that would no one would have realized that was a thing and they certainly wouldn't have said it as they did because that was bad racism was bad we grew up in the right. 90s racism was bad if you talk about it it exists, it exists. <laughs> and you still see that in our age group today oh, right 100 and you're like yeah 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 but you guys are like still kind of racist though i just wanted to bring that up <laughs> you know what i mean but like I feel like I was I was raised by a woman, especially who taught me not to be afraid of like labeling that as a dynamic of what might be affecting the power. So while I'm sure the answer is yes, I have never been afraid to identify that as something that might be affecting 
the dynamic in the room. Interesting. Mm -hmm. So you can't think of like a specific, other than the three H's where it might have come up? I mean, I have a really close friend who said one recently, and we went to high school together, how she felt like she was able to like kind of like coast by being a little bit more mediocre when we were going, or that no, that she she worked really hard and she realized that she could have coasted by being more mediocre, and she's a white woman. And I looked at her and I said, "Oh, that wasn't an option for me. Wasn't an option." And again, doesn't necessarily affect the dynamic of our friendship, but like is a thing. It was with, just a thing she didn't recognize. It was a so. thing she didn't recognize, and I pointed it out to her, and she was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Yeah." In a predominantly white area, if I had chosen to be me- mediocre, there's a good chance I was getting left behind. Mm. So my options were to be exceptional or not. Mm. And like she was like, "Oh," and I was like, "Yeah," and that's where we grew up. And she hadn't like thought of that until I brought it up to her. And then someone I've been friends with for like you know for like fifteen, sixteen, seventeen years. I'd say, I mean, I can't speak for the people of color in my, you know, from from Little Rock, but just so you all know, Erica is from. Oh, I'm put, I'm, put my I'm sorry, I was gonna let you say it, but it's there's, okay. I'm from Leesburg, Virginia, so I'm from Northern Virginia, but like the southernmost tip of Northern Virginia. And if you haven't noticed by the accent that has slipped out occasionally for me, I am from Little Rock, Arkansas. Um, which is the South. So all of you who are like, that's Midwest. It's not. What? Yeah. No. Who says oh, that? So many people are like, it's Midwest. It's not. And I don't say I'm sorry, that- it's Bill Clinton from the Midwest? I know, right? Uh, and I also don't say this with pride. It was the last state in the Confederacy. I'm pretty sure you cannot claim Midwestern if you were the last state in the Confederacy. Like, Hey, my state was the capital of the Confederacy, so cheers. Yeah, well, there we go. Yeah. But I was like... Little Rock's interesting because you definitely see, like, the direct effects in the layout of the city, as in a lot of cities like this, um, of, of old... Right. Opening more. Opening more rosé. <laughs> of, like, gerrymandering before it was really prevalent. There's mm-hmm. uh, train tracks were driven through cities, right, to divide. Mm-hmm. And you'll definitely see that between uh, basically the east and west of Little Rock. Oh, thank you very You're much. Welcome. And so, like, my school, and I did go to a private school because of well, my two best friends went to the arts public school that I really wanted to go to. But for a lot of reasons, I did go to an all-girl private school. And it was on the west side, and the majority of students in my school were white. We had a few students of color, um, women of color. They were definitely, definitely put to what you're talking about, expected to excel in a way that, like, other students were not because they were there. And it was like, I mean, this was like, when I was in school, it was 2000s, right? So racism, even though it quote-unquote didn't exist, was very still much like they were expected to excel because they were black. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's definitely real, and I don't know. I just appreciate you talking about that. That's, yeah, that's really interesting. And I feel like that's a thing that I I feel like that's a thing that I've actually been able to articulate better growing up, like as an adult. But I was aware of it as a teenager, and so that's like a hierarchy thing that was in the room. That like the fact that I just I just always felt the pressure to do really well, and your parents are confirming that belief. Especially your parents who've worked their butts off to get into, like, the upper middle class suburbs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they had to excel to get there. Mm-hmm. And they're confirming for you that that's the case. And you're looking at everyone in your family who's successful, and they had to be exceptional. 
to do what they would do. My grandfather was one of like, I'd have to look up the exact stats, so don't quote me here, people, but he was definitely one of the initial, part of the initial wave of like black officers in the military. Oh, wow. That's where I come from. My dad was the first person in his family to really become a part of the middle, upper middle class. Like, you have to be exceptional to just be mainstream. And that was like, so I'm like, me and my sister are both huge overachievers. But like, I can confirm this. Yeah. <laughs> but like, we had to be to like be successful, just to be what was considered successful. And with that, why knows? We're going to end part one of our first episode. Stay tuned for part two, where Erica and I explore toxic female friendships, iconic friendships, and of course, all things rose. 